James, I appreciate uh, the help, Mason, with the board. I'll show all the passages on the screen there for those of you who are watching on our streaming service. That's the reason why we have that monitor here. Do us a favor and hit the like button right now and share the video with as many people as you can. Share it to your home screens and every other way that you can think of. You can communicate with us right now online or you can even send us an email at pastor at mbchurch.com. Well, we've been talking about conflict, and it's pretty important for us to talk about conflict these days because it is going on around the world, isn't it? And last week, we started a little two-part series through James, beginning in chapter 4, about conflict that is going in the world, a conflict with God that people have with God, a conflict with self, and a conflict with others. And last week, we focused just on that first point conflict with God and really want to carry that over into this message a little bit which will get us grounded in the context but also I had a few more things that I wanted to share with you then we'll focus on the conflict that we have internally and how that manifests itself in conflict of relationships that we have with other people this is repeated throughout the scripture this this idea of conflict and where it comes from and um, you can notice in the the first John passage this is still the the James so go go a couple of screens forward if you will Let's get to that first John passage. One more right there. John says, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Now here we are with another author that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this truth for us, that there's a love for the world and a love for the Father that don't commingle. Uh, it's one or the other, and, and this has been from throughout the scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through to the new and to our life today. Joshua said it this way, choose you this day who you'll serve. It's for me and my house. You probably have this in your house somewhere, <laughs> a print of some sort. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And what he's saying there is you're going to have to make a choice in life. And John is saying the same thing. The choice is not to love the things of the world, but to love the Father, because you can't have one with the other. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So John is helping us to identify the, the discrepancy between loving the Father and loving the world, that you couldn't have both of those. So according to the Bible, friendship with the world is, and friendship with the world is really the total opposite. They're mutually exclusive. You can't have both. To be a friend of the world means that you are lusting after the world, you're affectionate towards the world, you love the things of the world. The world, of course, is rebellious against the things of God. So certainly we can't go there, but we ought to be loving the Father. That means to embrace the Father, to be uh, moving towards Him, to walk in His ways. Friendship with the world, James says, is enmity with God, that it's hostile to God. And so he wants us to make a very clear, distinctive decision, directive, that we would love the world. We say that, and we follow through with that which we say. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is offering us rescue from the world dominance and the love that, th that we might once have had with the world, and he gives us an opportunity to have freedom from that, giving us the gospel message. So in John chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, he tells us the the way in which he gives us this new life 
and that we might love the Father rather than the Lord, loving the world. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word that just means that he has satisfied the holy wrath of God that was against us in our sin. That Jesus has satisfied the justice that God requires for sin to be paid for. So Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. It's amazing grace, isn't it? That God is offering this for all people, that they might have their sins paid for and the wrath of God satisfied. He's offering that to the whole world, but not all the people in the world are going to receive it. And so in this passage, John is alerting us to this, this, saying, now this is how we're going to know that we have come to know the Father. This is how we're going to know that we are in relationship with Jesus. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And John doesn't hold anything back, does it? Does he? He says, okay, you can say that you have God's grace. You can say that you're saved. But if you don't follow the commands of God, if you don't keep the commands, then you're not saying what's truthful. The truth is actually not in you. Look at the next part of this passage. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. So God has initiated the relationship with us. He has offered relationship with us. He gives us the measure by which we can respond in faith. We do, and he begins a work in us, a work of perfecting us. First of all, he declares us to be right, Jesus does to the Father, and then with his Holy Spirit, he begins to work in us rightness. That's the biblical word for sanctification. He's working holiness in us. So when we're in relationship with God, we're friends with God, we begin to walk in his word. God, his love is perfecting us. And that's how we know that we are with him, in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which Jesus walked. So to be a friend of the world is to walk in the ways of the world. To be a friend of God is to walk in the ways of God. You walk in his commands, you walk in his law, you walk in his holy ways. And so there's distinction. This isn't just something that we can lay over our life by mere words. That's what James is calling us to do is test the authenticity of your faith. Is it evident that the word of God is implanted in you? Is it evident that you have been transformed by your continuance and transformation? So true Christians are friends with Jesus, they are indwelt by his Holy Spirit and they walk in his ways, in his word. In fact, that's by definition what Christian means. It means you're like Christ. It's not just a cultural expression, a defining way in which the culture says, what religion are you following? Being Christian means that you have chosen to dedicate yourself, your life, and your walk to be like Christ. And people are identifying that. They're seeing the evidence of that, so they call you Christian. So to love and to trust the sovereign God is to be Christian, to walk in his ways, to be filled by his spirit, to embrace his word, and to live in community with like-minded people. That's what it means to be Christian, to be a friend of God. And when we're a friend of God in that way, we have joy, we have peace, and we have fulfillment. That God is working in all those ways. Now, that does not mean that we are unaffected by the brokenness of the world. You and I are still affected by the sin of the world. In fact, we still struggle. Anybody not struggling these days with sin? Yeah, we all still struggle with that because we still live in the flesh by which we were born. God is transforming us by spirit. The spirit now gives us 
an opportunity to walk in his truths so we don't carry out the desires of the flesh but we we wrangle with that don't we we still struggle with that but it does mean though we are struggling we have an eternal perspective we recognize what christ has afforded us we want to walk in that freedom that he gives us and the victory that he gives us and knowing that we're going to be with him one day and that christ's reconciling work is continuing in us we trust that and that we are satisfied with jesus who is making us new so people who are friends of god rather than friends of the world conclude as the apostle paul concluded to live is christ and to die is gain now let me bring this forward to our current issues in the world right now because uh, somehow many christians have gotten disconnected from this truth this is the mantra by which you and i live to live is christ to die is gain what is he saying He's saying, I'm a little vexed. I don't know whether I want to continue on in this life. To continue on in this life means that I'm going to be fruitful in my life, and it will be for your good, the good of the church. But man, do I long to be with Christ. Because to die in this world means to be present with Christ. So he has this uh, tension, if you will. So he's just kind of putting a stake in the ground, letting them know what his thoughts are. To live is Christ to die is gain all right in the midst of covid to live is christ even while covid is going on as people are experiencing that as we are experiencing that we want to be prudent and steward our health well we want to manage our health well so that we can manage our ministry well but to live is christ we ought to be engaged in the ministry and the mission by which christ has given to us if we die of covid or heart disease or cancer or whatever else if we die that's gain where did we lose that we lost direction somewhere along the way and the apostle paul by the wondrous love of the spirit is helping us to identify even in a world of brokenness even the world where where disease and infections kind of go rampant to live is christ it doesn't change that fact to live is christ and to die is gain now listen he goes on with this thought in the rest of that passage if i am to live in the flesh that means i have fruitful labor and this isn't just about labor for him this is fruitful labor that he will have for them he said which shall i choose i can't really tell you i don't know which one i would choose whether i would purpose to just stay here in this life and live fruitfully and laboriously for you the church i'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and to be with christ that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account so you can hear the sort of wrangling in him uh, he wants to pursue Christ. He wants to pursue him face to face. He wants to be in the presence of Christ. He wants to be in the place of heaven where there's no sickness and no disease and no rejection, no doubt, no despair, no depression. To be one with Christ, that's what it will be in heaven. What a glorious, what a glorious day that will be when we're in the presence of Christ. So he's saying, man, if I died, that's good. That's gain but i don't know which i would choose if it were up to me because man do i ever love serving you i love building you up i love teaching you the scripture i love ministering to you so he's sort of wrangling in this place all that to say a friend of god thinks that way 
a friend of God thinks that way Lord if I live by your will I'll live in Christ and if I die by your will I'll be in the presence of Christ that's a friend of God who thinks that way I pray that we will be found faithful to that be reminded that Paul faced immense difficulties in his life it's not like his life was easy in fact you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who experienced more tragedy and more brutality than the Apostle Paul he had brutal tragedies in his life horrendous difficulties horrifying persecutions many times hungry many times thirsty isolated riots were around and he was in the midst of them people attempting to murder him chasing him out of city after city endured it all because of this overwhelming commission of Jesus Christ to serve him faithfully so he says for me to live is Christ that's my call to be a servant of the gospel but then he also had his sight fixed, not on the hardships that he was having in the world, not in the calamity in the world. His sight was fixed on Jesus as he would one day be in his presence, the author and the finisher of his faith. And if the church is going to do well today in the midst of riots, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of economic uncertainty, if the church is going to do well, she will have her sight set on the same way. I have been commissioned by Christ. Let me serve him faithfully to live as Christ. And if I die, let me be found in Christ, in his presence, and live with him forever in heaven. The church needs to rediscover those two aspects, that we would be faithful in our commission and long for the presence of Christ where we will live for all eternity. But unfortunately, today's church has lost its grip on those truths we need to refocus on our mission we need to double down on our mission and we need to focus on Jesus and the joy by which we will have for all eternity with him but many saints and many churches seem to have lost focus we lose joy when we stay home and are isolated from other people and we disengage from ministry and worship and focus on the hardships of life and focus on the difficulties in the world while not focusing on the glory of Christ, the wondrous call that he has given to us and his glory that will be experienced by us. It's troubling that fear and anxiety have gripped so many Christians. Church ministries, many of them are derailed. Some churches have closed their doors. Many of them represent a disassembling of the saints rather than what Hebrews 10 says, an assembly of the saints. And the church needs to come back to a deep love and friendship with God and the pursuit of the things of God, the commission of Christ, and know that to die is gain. I'm not looking to die. I'm looking to manage my health well while I still have health. I want to manage it well so that I can minister well. But if I die today don't cry much for me for me to live is christ and to die is gain you can shed a tear or two if you want but don't cry long for me because i will be in the glory of christ jesus ministered in that kind of way didn't he his followers did i mean james who's giving us the text for today james he led a church in the most difficult place at the most difficult time. He's the pastor of Jerusalem. 
You think about what's going on first century in Jerusalem in Christianity. I mean, you have intense persecution from multiple fronts. You've got a psycho-Roman empire who is set to bring destruction to Christians so that somehow he might be entertained and propelled politically in that. And James and the church is enduring that immense persecution. And at the same time, you have Jewish people who want to stomp out the name of Jesus and the way of Jesus, and they'll do everything in their power to kill and destroy the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And James is in the epicenter of that kind of persecution. If there's anybody who knows about hardship, it's James. Yet he faithfully ministers his mission in the midst of all of that because he was commissioned by Christ and he had a sight set on eternity. So you and I will not have a change in the brokenness of the world. In fact, Jesus warned us that it is going to become more broken. It is going to get worse. This world is not going to get better what will be better is that you and I stay focused on our mission and stay focused on the eternal perspective that Christ has given us, that we will be together with him again. We can be content in that. Even in the midst of a fallen world, you and I can find real joy and real satisfaction and real fulfillment in the midst of that because Christ's commission to us has not changed. His power in us has not changed. And the place where we, were, we are going has not changed. So if scientists come up with a COVID vaccine, our hope is not there because another disease is coming. That's what Jesus said. Pestilences will continue. They will escalate. And our hope is not in the November election. There's not a single candidate that I know that bends the knee in humble submission to Jesus Christ. There's not one candidate that I've heard that's talked about the hope alone that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. November is not where our hope is. Our hope and our future is not in this world. So we must not be friends with this world. Our hope and our future is in Jesus Christ. So our friendship ought to be in him. Our hope is in his return. Revelation 21, towards the very end of the Bible, helps us to understand the fullness of our hope. As Jesus is seated on, seated on the throne in glory, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. There's our hope. Don't fall short of that fullness of hope. So my friends and my faith family, let us not allow the trouble of the world to thwart God's call that is given to us, let us not lose the hope and the focus of the glory of Jesus Christ who is coming again and he will reward faithfully those who are friends with him and who are walking in his ways. So friendship with God, I'm talking about affection and love and walking with God will bring joy and hope into your life and catch what James is saying, it will resolve conflict. You will not have a resolution in conflict in your life without friendship with God. So that's where he starts. So if you're in conflict today, if you're experiencing conflict, then Jesus is offering you eternal friendship. This is where it starts. If you're going to have freedom from conflict, freedom from conflict in your family, in your workplace, among your neighbors, in our country, if we're going to experience freedom from conflict, it starts here receiving the offering of eternal friendship that comes with Christ. But now, 
as well, I want to talk about conflict, not just with God, but with self and then others. Conflict with self. Sinful passions and desires are insatiable. They reveal an inter internal brokenness. This is where James is helping us to, to go in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So we recognize conflict with God comes by being in friendship with the world because to be a friend of the world is to be enmity with God, hostile to God. Now we're going another step. Where is the quarrel and fighting come from? coming from? What's the source of that? It's from your passions within. Passions, by the way, is from the Greek New Testament word hedone, which is where we get our word hedonism, a hedon, one who is given without reserve, without any kind of restriction to the passions of the flesh. You're just going with the passions that your flesh has. You want to be gratified in those things. You have an insatiable desire. Your flesh will never be satisfied. You have an insatiable desire. Passion is to be given over to that. In the same way a hedonist gives over to the passions. This is what causes inner conflict. Because God has written his law on our heart. When we give over to the fleshly sins in our life, there is conflict there. Even when you're given to sin, the conflict is still there because God has inscribed his law on your heart. And you sense the weightedness of disobeying the law of God, the heaviness of that. Someone could experience momentary satisfaction in sin. You might have that thrill to say you... You vent out in rage, and you say, man, does that ever feel good to get it off my chest? Or does it feel good 15 minutes later when your family is still reeling in the hurt and the pain and the suffering? Is it still good two hours later when those words, those wounding words still are piercing into your children or into your spouse or into your coworkers? It brings tension, doesn't it? Obviously. Or to be given to lust, and you move towards that in some way, some sexual sin. You, you might have a, an immediate sense of gratification of the flesh, but how does it feel an hour later? How does it feel 10 minutes later? How does it feel later when you come eye to eye with that person and you know what has gone on? How does it feel when your family is breaking apart? How does it feel when you lose your job because you're hooked on porn in the midst of your job? How, how, does it, how does it work then? I tell you what happens, it brings a greater struggle. It's an insatiable desire that has no wind to it. And the fact that God has made people in his image brings war and friction because he's, he's put his imprint in people. So you can have people who are unsaved and still have goodness and still have love and still have mercy and still be gracious. You say, how is that? It is because God has made people with his imprint. So where we see those things, the goodness and the love and the joy and the uh, generosity, when you see those things, those are attributes of God that God has put into the person as they are made in his image. But when you walk in the way of the world, when you walk in the way of sin, it is contrary to that image that God has placed in you. And that brings war in you. It brings an unsettledness to you at best. So James is saying those are passions that war in you 
Such a person has a war within, an emotional and physical war. Life is in jeopardy when we are friends with the world. So no one can live to satisfy the sinful passions and at the same time ever be at peace with God and other people. You, you wonder why your family is in conflict? You wonder why there is quarrel and fights among your family? James says it's your passions that are unsatisfied in you. You wonder why the United States is so broken, so disjointed, so angry, why there's so much hatred and fighting? It's because of our passions that war within us that are anti-God. They go against the nature of God, go against the image of God and the word of God and the presence generally of God as his grace is extended throughout the world. So living to please sinful desires is rooted in a selfishness and rooted in idolatry and that it's always against God. It brings friction between us and God and friction to other people as well. So when you are talking to people about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the troubleness in their life, you're talking about uh, resolution, don't negate to go back to the gospel. Our purpose is not to get people to stop arguing and fighting. The purpose is to recognize what's causing the arguing and fighting. What's the deeper issue and how can the gospel bring transformation? God has a design and the design would be that we would walk with him, that we would walk in his ways, that we would be friends with him in relationship with him and him with us. But sin has caused that friction, has it? Sin has caused that brokenness in our life and that brokenness is evident. In fact, we will try to overcome brokenness in many ways. I was listening earlier to a gentleman after the first service who told me in Gadsden, alcoholism is through the roof complications from alcoholism in the hospital is through the roof right now you know why because people are experiencing brokenness and rather than coming to the resolution of the gospel they're attempting to bring a healing a fix to the brokenness or at least a covering of the brokenness in their life but that will get you nowhere but more brokenness so christ has given us the opportunity to repent change the way we think about things and come to him and believe that he alone can accomplish what you and I are striving to accomplish. He alone can give us peace. He alone can give us joy. He alone can give us certainty. He alone can give us health. He alone can give us prosperity in the way it's meant to be. But we must repent and believe in him, the true gospel that Christ came, left glory to live in the midst of the sinful world. He lived righteously without ever diminishing in any way the law of God. He lived perfectly but took our sin upon himself on the cross and died with it there so that God's justice could be paid for and God was satisfied that's a propitiation he was placed in a tomb and on the third day he rose again and sits gloriously now at the right hand of the father calling us to himself relationally that's the gospel and when we receive the gospel then we have recovery and a purpose in which God has designed for us ultimately don't get hung up right here Help people to recognize the fullness that God wants for them. He wants them to have recovery of purpose and recovery of significance and recovery of fellowship with him. And the way to that is through Jesus Christ. So maybe you're here in this brokenness. You know what your call is? Come to the gospel. Repent and believe that Christ alone can be the one to give you newness of life. It's not to get your life better. 
It's not to cover up the brokenness. It's not to fix it on your own. Man, you're no good at that, and neither was I. We come to Christ, who is perfect, and he will give you a new creation, one from above. So the world encourages people the opposite of this. The world says, oh, just be yourself. Just embrace who you are. Embrace the desires that you have. And, of course, that leads to more brokenness. People are discouraged when they embrace their sinful passions because they're never, they're never satisfied. And the conviction of God rests upon them. The Word of God is written on their heart, and yet they recognize that they're not able to carry it out. They feel the weightiness of that, the justice that God is demanding of them. But that's the world. Just be yourself. When the world invites you into pornography, I can tell you that it doesn't tell you about the insatiable desire that it's building in you such that you'll never experience true intimacy. You'll not experience the wonder and the joy of intimacy as God has prescribed it to be biblically. The world doesn't tell you from there on you'll be constantly hungry for that which you have seen. And when the world offers you drugs so that you can have a high in life, it doesn't tell you about the brokenness that's coming. It doesn't tell you about the family fracturing. It doesn't tell you about the expense. It doesn't tell you that you will be hooked for the high, that you will sell out everything and you'll take as much as you can in order to get it. The world doesn't tell you that when it says just be yourself. When the flirtatious person invites you to an exciting fling, that person doesn't tell you the suffering that you're going to experience and the suffering that your family is going to experience. Multi-generational so don't be swayed by the lures of the world. Don't be a friend of the world. It's a bitter relationship. Friends of God reject friendship with the world. And at the same time, being a friend of God is the richest blessing you'll ever experience. You'll never know more satisfaction and more fulfillment outside of being a friend of God. So don't be swayed. And I would say as well, church, don't be discouraged. With the world as it is and the current conditions that we are watching, let's not be discouraged. Rather, let's build ourselves up in faith and prayer, resting in God's love and waiting for His return. I want to remind you of a passage in Jude. Maybe you haven't read Jude in a while, but in the 17th verse of Jude, it says, You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's helping us to recognize the apostles foretold about some things that were going on. I'm switching over to 1 John for a minute just to point out, here's some of the things that the apostles told us. These are the predictions of the apostles. But understand this, that in the last days, by the way, last days doesn't mean that the Lord Jesus is soon to come like imminently. Uh, maybe you're watching some stuff online right now. Maybe you're reading some blogs. Maybe you're watching some preachers. And like every generation, when there's a hardship that's at hand, they all say, this is the end of the world. That this is the last days. Jesus used the term last days to identify the time when he was faithfully serving on earth and when he will faithfully return. That's the whole period called last days. Now certainly we are nearer to the end of last days than we've been any time before just because history is moving, right? 
But I don't know if the Lord's coming back tomorrow. I don't know if he's coming back next year. I don't know if he's coming in anytime soon. But all I know is that he said, as the last days go on, there will be difficulty. And here's what the scripture is clear about. As we continue through the days, the difficulties are going to get greater. They're not going to get lighter. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanders without self-control, brutal, and not loving good. And he continues to say they're treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the root of all of what I just described, what I just read. This is the root of it all. They love the world. They love the pleasure rather than loving God. And it's manifest in all those ways, having the appearance of godliness. In other words, they might be connected to the church. They might claim religion. They might claim Christianity. But defying its power, in other words, there's no transformational living in them. There, there's no love of God that's evident in them. They claim godliness, but they deny its power. And here's what he says. You ought to avoid people like that. Certainly be gospel-centric with them. Help them to come to discover the truth of the gospel. But when they say no to the gospel, don't hang around them. Avoid them. Now, those were the predictions of the apostles that Jude is talking about. Let me go back to Jude. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles, like what I just mentioned to you. They said to you, and Jude's going to give it in summary form, in the last time there will be scoffers. Man, do we ever have scoffers today. In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. They're friends of the world. They're driven in this insatiable desire for their flesh. It is these who cause divisions. Why? Because James has already told us what Jude is saying now. James is telling us the divisions, the quarrels and the fights actually are rooted in the passions that you have that are not satisfiable. They're insatiable. These who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of spirit, but you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God. You and I are to be lovers, affectionate towards, and friends with God. That is our transformation, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. So we're loving God, we're friends of God, and we're waiting for His coming again. That's what Paul was saying, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm going to live with the commission of Christ, and I'm looking forward to being with Him. And this is what Jude is saying. This is what John would say as well. So some of you might be experiencing an inner war right now. You know God's holy demands for your life, but you allow the flesh to rule, and that brings great conflict. You have an internal conflict. And James helps us to recognize it's the fleshly love for the world that's causing the root of the conflict. Come to that understanding. Satisfaction can only be found by that rule being broken and be given to Jesus Christ. Your first step to freedom then is to humble yourself before God and others. Listen to his word in James 4 again. Do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Maybe you have a translation that has this as a capital S and there are a number of translations that have that. Uh, it's because 
In the Greek New Testament, there are no punctuation marks and there's no capitals. And so that can bring some confusion to us. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Because one who has the Holy Spirit is not going to be a friend of the world. Because to be a friend of the world is enmity with God, right? Hostile to God. So he can't be talking about the Holy Spirit that he's placed in Christians. Only Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. So he's talking about a spirit that God has given to us, made to dwell in us. And I think what he's saying is this person that God has placed in your body, he yearns jealously for that spirit. That's a real statement of love. When I have jealousy over something and it's a holy righteous jealousy that is a love that i want the fullness of that person to have so he loves us such that he is yearning jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us but he gives more grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourself therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you next week we'll focus on this last portion there so if you're experiencing conflict with self, here's the answer. Jesus can heal your spirit within. It won't be because you sort of knuckle down, pull yourself up. It'll be that you surrender humbly to Jesus and let him give you a brand new spirit within. Your first step to freedom to, with God is to come to him in the right way. James says that in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, a very interesting passage, you desire and don't have, you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you, and you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Can I just kind of summarize this? This is one you might want to chew on. It took me a few days to sort of let this one settle in for me to grab hold of what he's saying here. I think he's saying two things. Number one, some of you don't ask because you fail to recognize James 1.17 that says God gives all good things. He's our Father above who gives all good things. But you think you can accomplish on your own. You think you can do it on your own, so you don't even ask. It's a real arrogance when we are prayerless. I'm just speaking personally for a moment, it's arrogant when I'm prayerless. So we have to ask. Ask of God. He alone is in the authority position. He alone is sovereign. He alone is all-powerful and all-knowing. Ask. But sometimes you ask, he says, and you don't receive because you ask in the wrong way. Now, remember, he's not talking to Christians. He's talking about people who are not saved. They're friends of the world. And he says they might be asking. You know what I think he's saying there? They want the things of God without having God. They want God's goodness. They want God's grace. They want God's blessings. They want God's healing. They want all God's stuff, but they don't want God. So they ask for it, and they're not going to receive it because they'll spend it on their own passions. They want what they want without God. So we have to come to God in the right way, humbly, asking, humbly, laying our life down to receive his life now finally at conflict with god conflict within ourselves that's what's causing all this and here james is giving us a definitive response that broken enemies of god wage war against other people here's what he says in chapter one this is a spillover 
If you've got passions that are warring within you, that will contentiously spill over into relationships that you have with other people. Having sinful lusts that cannot be satisfied is a source of contention, and it leads, as James says, to murder and covetousness. Now, I don't think that's a hyperbole. I don't think that's an exaggeration of the truth. You say, murder? I've never been given over to murder. Well, here's what he's saying. You let that unsatisfied lust, desire, worldliness wage war in you internally, and it can easily move that way. Here's case in point. The most religious people of the first century were the scribes and the Pharisees, and they had such war and conflict within for wealth and power that they actually murdered Jesus Christ and murdered many of his followers in the years to come. So yeah, it can move in that direction. But he says it's also where coveting comes from. The word covet, by the way, in the Greek New Testament is this word for which we get the term zealot. It's an eagerness. It's a, uh, it's a strong word to use that there's just this strong feeling for desires that we would accomplish and have the sensual pleasures and the sensual, uh, sinful desires to be satisfied. But they're not satisfiable and so that brings conflict and quarrels. You wonder where the fighting comes from in your spouse or with your family or with your coworkers. Here's what the Bible says. It's because you have strong desire for that which is in your flesh. You have a zealous nature for that. So unless we humble ourselves and surrender to those desires that Christ affords us, we will continue to have that. We ought to resist the devil and come to Christ. Otherwise, those will rage constantly in us. So not only does a person fight a battle within and the quarrel outside with other people, but they fight God. And worse than all, God is opposed to them. James helps us to understand the the severity of that. That if you're given to the world and its lust and its powers, its possessions and so forth, God will resist you. God will stand against you and oppose you. You'll never experience His grace. You'll never have hope, not for today, not for the future and eternity. However, James gives us a measure of hope. In verse 6, he gives it very clearly. He says, but he gives more grace that God gives grace to the humble. So you might be saying, man, Randy, I am given to the fleshly desires. I'm given to the pridefulness of this world. I'm a friend of this world, and there's no way that I can overcome that. I understand you're not going to overcome that, but God's grace is greater than that. You say, well, you don't know the depth in which I've gone. All I know is that God's grace will reach further than your sin. You don't know how far I've journeyed away from God. All I know is that God's grace will outreach the distance from which you have traveled to go away from Him. He gives more grace, more grace than your sin, more grace than your rebellion, more grace than your rejection. He gives more grace. God gives grace to the humble, to the one who taps out no more. 
no more, God, will I be a friend of the world. I choose to be your friend. My affection, my life, my drive, my walk is with you. Oh, God, I humbly come to you, not for your goods. I come to you for the relationship. I come to you for your glory. When you come to him in that way, his more grace is extended in your life that brings transformation. He won't make your life better. He'll destroy the life that you have right now and give you a brand new life from above. He'll make all things new. So if you're battling God, not only will you lose in eternity, but you're losing right now. And Jesus has come to be the reconciler. Jesus has come to offer you eternal friendship. If you're at odds with God, Jesus has come to alter friendship, offer friendship. Isn't that amazing? We break the relationship, and he comes reconciling. That's amazing grace. See, that's the more grace. We do him wrong, and he comes to pay the penalty for what we've done. That's amazing. That's more grace. You see how that works? If your conflict is with God, Jesus has come to reconcile it. If your conflict is within yourself, your conflict is this battle that rages. You know it because you lack peace and you lack joy, you lack a sense of love and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction. If your conflict is internal, Jesus has come to heal the spirit within to give you a spirit from above. And if your conflict is evident with others, if your fights and quarrels are with other people, then Jesus has not only offered you personal reconciliation, but he deposits in you the spirit with whom you have the ministry of reconciliation. It all comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? This isn't about you or me living our life better. It's not about you or me living the better life today it's about you and me surrendering our life today and having the wondrous grace-filled righteous holy life of jesus dwelling within and for that we say i'm a friend of god and by his grace he's a friend of mine i reject the friendship of the world would you join me Faith family here in this building, will you join me in that? Trusting Christ, living in Him. Let's pray together. As we come to conclusion to this passage, Lord, I pray for those who are in conflict, those who are struggling, those who are battling. The battle is with you, the battle is with self, and the battle is with others. I'm thankful that Jesus has come to rectify that. And I pray that you'll be pouring out faith in a way that people would receive the gospel today and life would be forever changed. Oh God, I pray that this would be the day of transformation, wondrous salvation, and the beginnings of eternal life that is lived totally differently for your glory and in your presence.